0: Let's talk to interesting people. Let's talk about the process of seeing things differently. Let's talk about the craft of molding truth and fiction together to arrive at something new and exciting. And let's have fun while doing it. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to True Fiction, the podcast that talks to talented, creative people and finds out where their inspirations come from. I'm your host, Patrick Boggs. Across the desk from me tonight
0: is the phenomenally creative Norbert Yates. Norbert, how's it going? I'm enjoying the fall weather coming in. I'm not enjoying the allergies. No,
1: fall is here, even if briefly, but (laughs) it is here. So our guest tonight probably doesn't get a break from fall or... Uh, summer Uh, i don't know we'll talk about that tonight our guest has worked for companies such as paramount pictures apple call of duty carls jr facebook gm jimmy johns and los angeles rams just to name a few true fiction welcomes chief creative officer of anomaly in la josh fell to the show how's it going tonight josh oh it's going great uh nice to meet you both very, very good to meet you. Now, you are in L.A., is that right?
2: That's right. Uh, Los Angeles, uh, Hollywood area. They call it West Hollywood, but it's pretty east. Um, hmm. Right under the Hollywood sign. Um, we're nice. right on a studio lot out here. So it's a, it's a beautiful day today. I don't know. It's, it's somewhere in the mid-70s, sunny, another day.
0: So since we briefly touched on weather, let's pull on that thread just a little bit. <laughs> Was you born and raised in L.A.?
2: Oh um, no, I was I was born in Long Beach, so that's 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 part of Los Angeles. That's the the Snoop Dogg part of Los Angeles. But <laughs> quickly moved up to um, the Bay Area with with my parents and spent the the first good, I don't know ten years of my life moving up and down from the East Bay, San Leandro, San uh, San Lorenzo, up up near San Francisco, and then back down to L.A. and back and forth and back and forth, and then we settled. In seventh grade, I don't know. I don't know years. I just know grades. Um, <laughs> out in the, in the high desert of California, so that's about two and a half hours northeast of Los Angeles. It's basically Alabama out there. We settled there in seventh grade with with the lovely people, and, and there's not much else out there. And uh, I, we stayed until till high school. Met my future wife. Whole thing. So yeah, L.A. centric. If, if you're from Florida, I've been in L.A. my whole life. But if you're out in L.A., I've I've lived in the Boondocks.
0: The reason I asked since I. I've asked this question a couple times and I was wondering Mm -hmm. what, if you think creativity is influenced by weather at all in terms of people's rhythms and changings of, but if you're in LA, my guess is the weather really doesn't change a whole lot.
2: Well, I would say the, at least for me, the answer is yes. Um, It's not about the changes. It's about the possibilities a little bit Um, when it, Uh, as I said, I spent some time in the Bay area and I hate it up there. We we have clients up there, lovely people, but the weather, you go to San Francisco, it's a, it's oppressive. The clouds, they bring me to a place that I, I have less fun. I'm less funny. I enjoy things less. Part of the benefit of out here is I I do think on, on pretty days, on sunny days, things feel a little bit more possible. Um, helps you solve problems a little easier, I think. And then, you know, I I spent a good amount of time in, on the East coast, or in the north of, of California, and it's it's just a different thing. It's a bit more of a grind. So, it's not about the changes for me, but it is about it's. I don't know. You can you can see light at the end of the tunnel when it's when it's nice outside. The wind's just right. I don't know. I think it helps.
1: Yeah, I've always thought that um, the Bay Area would be a little bit oppressive just because of the. But it seems like it's always chilly there. Forever the cold. Yeah, forever That's right.
2: cold. It's uh, I, I can't stand it. I love the people, and it's like you go you go east just a little bit, and it's better. But right on the on the bay there, it, it comes up hard.
0: It's beautiful out there with mm. the with the mountains and the city in, nestled in there and uh, the Golden Gate and all that stuff. But you're right, the wind, man.
2: <laughs> I could never do it.
1: Oh, someday I'll visit, but I've and I've actually never been. I've ever actually never been. So,
2: oh, you should go. It's. It, it's a nice place to visit. Get some <laughs> sourdough, see the things, watch a game, and then get the hell out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. What's your background, Josh? Did you always do advertising or uh, design, or how how'd that go?
2: Yeah, um, in the in the industry itself, so I'm a, I'm a writer by trade, a copywriter back here, and then now I now I get to run a place, which is pretty pretty insane for me, frankly. I no, I came out of school. I went to school as a I was a marketing major. I wanted to help businesses do business stuff. I quickly learned that it wasn't really rewarding for me. Um, And then um, growing up, my parents were, my my father's a pastor, my my mother helped run that. They're always into music. So I grew up into music. So somewhere around high school, I decided to start writing songs and I I was in a bunch of very terrible bands for a very long time, but I loved the process of writing music and, and covering a page with what at the time were probably overwrought angsty lyrics, but like, you know, trying to express myself, covering a page, circling what worked, scratching out what didn't work. And and that was really rewarding for me. So when I got graduated school, became a marketer, I was working for Wells Fargo banks, helping open home equity line of credit in uh, North Dakota and out of LA. And the, the idea that I could write things for a living, I started writing things for some of the other people at the agency. I was in uh, an agency called DDB in Los Angeles. Lovely place. But some of the other people didn't want to do what their job was and say, hey, kid, you want to help me? And I was like, yeah, I'll I'll help you. I'll do anything other than file some papers. (laughs) I feel like that's what I was doing all day. And so I started writing and it was like, oh yeah, this is it. This is the same process for me as writing those terrible songs, is trying to write a headline, is trying to write a script, is trying to write a radio ad, and then became TV and became all the rest of it. It's the same process as writing a song in, you know, in a notebook in in junior high. So that, yeah, I I, I didn't know the advertising was going to be it, at least on the the creative side, but it became a place where you could get in there, solve a different problem every day, and then people with obscenely large budgets would give you money to go work with the best directors and cinematographers and, you know, in the world and and create some stuff that I'm really proud of. So I kind of stumbled into it. Maybe dusted all the way, maybe.
0: As you think about writing and as, as you apply it to what you're doing now, do you think in a certain priority? For example, do you think when you're writing songs, I'm not a musician, but you know, I. Me neither. When you, when you <laughs> think about more. writing w- lyrics, do you think about the lyrics first or do you think of something? more melodic as -hmm. you're, as you're creating things, what comes first or does it just one thing or is it both or how does that work
2: for me? I mean, I don't know. There's, there's probably a more talented person you can ask on the musical front. But for me, when I'm writing, I, I think about the feeling I want someone to have and I want to try to manipulate them to feeling the feeling I want them to have the whole thing's about control, I guess probably. But, and then I'm, nothing, if not melodramatic. And I love big feelings. And I don't do a lot of like clever stuff. I, my favorite stuff to do is stuff that's going to make you laugh a lot or cry a lot or get scared a lot or something a lot, you know, on the edges of reaction. And so um, that's kind of where I start. Like what makes me feel something big? Ooh, okay. I want to run towards that feeling. And then I, I want to write it and, it and rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it until I think I'm as efficient with that feeling as possible. So it's sometimes you fall in love with the words but my favorite things to write I, I do a lot of character stuff I like you know for, for various companies I've created all sorts of characters over the years and that's just like embodying a person who makes me feel a certain way and then I talk into my phone until I find their voice and this right right right
0: Dave find is find their voice what do you mean
2: uh, on the character front so I, I've man over the years I did, for for a long amount of time I, I, I've worked in video games which is an amazing space because at least on the creative side when you know if you write something it's going to be in a piece of marketing or a piece of content for for a video game or a video game company or with playstation or call of duty the people who are going to watch it read it hear it are really going to react to what you put in front of them and if it's good they're going to let you know and you're going to feel like a king and if it's bad they're going to let you know and you're, you're going to feel the opposite you're they're going to They're not going to pull the punch along that journey. I started uh, sort of stumbled into creating, like I said, some characters. So we had this guy for, for PlayStation years ago. His name is Kevin Butler. He's played by this amazing improv actor named Jerry Lambert, who was the the vice president of various fake jobs. We gave him at PlayStation. And, and when I say find the voice, it's like, you kind of realize, Oh, this guy's like a slimy car salesman, but also maybe is an idiot or maybe he's the smartest person in the world and we can't tell which one he is today. And so you kind of stumble your way into it. And then more character things. We, we the one that comes to mind is currently, we're working uh, with our friends at Jimmy John's who have delicious sandwiches. We, we sold them on this idea of, what if you had a spokesperson who who hated you, <laughs> who your very existence ruins his life and drives him crazy. And his, his name's uh, Tony Bolonovich, he's played by Brad Garrett from Everybody Loves Raymond and all that, who's amazing. And that was just like, okay, how, how does this guy who came up of under the, the sandwich underworld, it's like, you know, it's Scarface meets The Sopranos meets Sandwich. And that's where we started. And then you just talk and talk and talk. into my I, like I, I write in my phone all the time. That's how I don't have time to use my fingers anymore. It's just like, so I verbalize it all. As you hear, I just, I ramble my way through verbalizations until I'm like, oh, I like the way he said that. And it's, you put on the character and you talk, like him or her, you know, and, until you find a thing that feels unique, and then for us to help sell sell a product and stuff them. But more than anything, it's like, oh, I, I don't know. I got I got to play act as these people for a little bit in the writing process. I don't know if that makes any sense. But the voice is like, how might they say the same line? Everyone needs to say our sandwiches have fresh turkey. Everyone has to say that, but this guy might say it a little differently. He might be really really mad that Jimmy John's Jimmy's John's sandwiches have. Turkey. You see these. He would get angry. He might curse. you like, okay, let's write that part of it. At least it makes myself giggle. I
1: went to your site and I watched those, and I wasn't sure if I I had missed them, but they are seriously some of the funniest things I've seen in a long. And I love how he says Jimmy's Johns. You know yeah. that the, his whole phrasing, and of course, Brad Garrett's a genius. So yes, you is. got the exact right person for the job. I that that whole. I, I seen two of the um, the, the, the bits for that, and, and I just loved it. So is that – that's like new coming out?
2: So it, it began – it's been about a year and a half. Jimmy John's oh. is funny, that depending on where you are in the country, sure. I'm, not, I'm not sure where you are. Um, Midwest. And, and where you – and what you're watching, you'll either completely miss it or <laughs> you won't be able to get away from it. So it's, it's because they're regional in that sense and the, what they buy. So we've, we started um, – it launched on the Super Bowl not this past February, but the previous February before that. And more and more and more, we're getting to play with this character. We're doing some really weird things with him. We're taking him <laughs> to nightmare places. But as as a, and we're understanding what he can do. And, and you know, I, I think that's the most fun part of me on the, the reason why I'm drawn to characters maybe is you establish a voice, you establish a set of capabilities, and then you get to play with it and take it places where maybe you didn't think it can go. In those Tony Bolonovich ones, he has an assistant in all of them who was, just a punchline in the very first one. Just like, oh, and then he throws a salami at his assistant. And then we're like, well, oh, you should give him a name. And we call him Stevie. He's played by this uh, actor whose name is Sonny Hall. I'm going to say Valdezante. I think I messed up his last name. But Sonny's a legit actor. He's on Mindhunter. He's like a legit. And then Brad is obviously an, a legit actor. And it's, you start to realize, oh, we've got something with these two now. And it's like, it's the same stuff that, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the name of the there's a movie in the 70s where you're driving cross country um, with. Uh, I lost it. He had a mustache. Burt Reynolds? <laughs> you know those movies. Oh, Burt Reynolds. Yes, Burt Reynolds. He's smoking the bandit, bandit. Yeah. There yeah. you go. So, Smoking the Bandit, the, the cop and his assistant, that dynamic oh, Jackie like yeah. Gleason the two of them and yeah, his son. Come on yeah. Now. yeah. So, Jackie Gleason, that vibe, I've always loved that vibe of the idiot and the person who's trying to control the idiot, and we we stumbled into Who that. Who is himself as idiot? Yeah, I know. No one knows that they're an idiot, and so they're just loud about themselves <laughs> and loud about their idiocy. I love that vibe comedically So, anyways, it became this thing with the two of those guys, and now what was a campaign about Tony Belanovich, the king of cold cuts, played by Brad Garrett, is now about the this duo. Of of two two dummies trying to take down the, the sandwich empire, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just coming after them, and so um I, I don't remember where we started doing but stakeouts.
1: Like, I, oh, yeah, there was. Yeah. It, I love that. Yeah. That was that was awesome.
2: Just the stupidest, dumbest reason. And for some reason, they chose to film themselves doing it. So all <laughs> of that is just like we had the Jimmy's Johns thing early, just because it sounded funny when we riffed it, and we're like, okay. And then we asked Brad, hey, would you try saying it that way? And he did, and I'm like, okay, yeah, we have to say it that way. And that, oh, wow. that became, that's how the character always says it, you know?
1: We've talked to some people that, like, have been in, uh, that worked in writer's rooms. And, mm-hmm. and that they're, you know, they, they talk about how you're just, you know, shooting out these ideas. Is I, I'd, I'd never really thought about that. But is it is it something that you guys, is that how your your creative sessions go? Or is that basically, okay, now we have the idea. Now we go ahead and riff and, and, and throw
2: ideas out. We like to the way we work out here. So I run. I run a place called Anomaly, um, or they're in the creative department at Anomaly in Los Angeles, and um, been here, coming up on four years. We often use the writers' room analogy as a way we're trying to approach it. It's it's fitting because, like I said, we're we're on the studio lot in in Hollywood. Right below us is a building that's called the Writers' Room, which was Charlie Chaplin's writers' room in wow. the '30s. So we're we're on we're on the set that um, where United Artists began and all that. That's that's the lot we're on. It's it's kind of a an amazing place to roam around. But we like to use that analogy, which is someone will come into the room with an idea of like, again, back to Jimmy John's or we've done things for all sorts of brands and Uber Eats and, you know, Expedia and everybody else. And rarely, I don't love someone walking into the room to pitch a thing and like a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And then on to the next one. I like to chase things. I like when we chase things. And we'll build on it and we'll be like, Ooh, what if that could, and then inevitably it gets worse, but somewhere along that journey, you stumble on something like, Ooh, that's different. And I think you built a little different thing. So that's, that's kind of how I was raised up was to chase what it could be, even if it starts off shitty. Sorry, I don't know if we're supposed to curse. Even yeah, it if It works. starts off bad. Yeah. Okay. Even if it starts off there, chase it. Cause who knows? Who knows what you'll find? And in that process for me is the fun the thing that ends up on the air on a on the web on someone's phone on on I, I, there's just so so little of that you can actually control the process of trying to solve the day-to-day problem make yourself giggle with a room full of other people giggling that's the thing man that energizes me so that's why we're very much inefficient in <laughs> in what it could be but i think you stumble onto shit that makes you excited and that's all i ever want to be
0: when you're working through these ideas and you say you've got a voice for them, you pitch this idea. I assume that you get this idea that you really like and then you pitch it to whoever, Jimmy John's marketing department or CEO, or whoever you're, you're pitching to. And then you have to go out, you have to cast these things. You have directors, as you said, cinematographers. Do you have a, it sounds like you have a very defined way of mm. the way you want things presented in terms of attitude presentation actors mm. what happens when you're working because you know anytime you work with somebody else and especially if they have their own talent they're going to see things in a different viewpoint and they're going to have a little bit different take or it's going to happen often how do you deal with that? Is that something that you welcome or is that something because you've already, as you said, you've, you've went through this process that you really enjoy in terms of creating it in house. And then, you know, you go through the rest of the stages and I'm just wondering how you, is it something that you hold on tight to your initial conception or you're open to different interpretations of your ideas?
2: Yeah, I, I get that question. Um, I think it's a choice whether you want to be happy in life or unhappy in life. Um, there's a lot of people in the industry who hold on tight to their beautiful piece of artistic whatever and are delightfully miserable for it and and frankly appreciate their own misery. And I was definitely that for a long time. I've found that there's a, there's a real good chance that the thing that I'm certain about is not the best thing, despite my certainty. And being surprised about what something can become is really rewarding versus defending what I think it is at all costs. Cause man, the energy that takes, right? And so I, I had to sort of teach myself one of the biggest lessons I learned. I worked at this place called 72 and Sunny with some really talented people for a long time, six, seven years. And one of the things I learned from them was to ask what if I'm wrong? Just, just, Just entertain the idea that perhaps I might be wrong. Which is just the level of narcissism in this business, or with me at the time. It's just you realize that when you ask if you're wrong, sometimes you, you aren't, but so many times you are, and you you can get more excited about the thing you didn't think existed than defending the thing you were positive about to, to the last to the last drop. So, and then this industry in particular, the the sort of creating in the advertising space. Is so rewarding because because of the people you run up against. When I present to the people at Jimmy John's, they're smart. They know their stuff beyond mayonnaise. They know their stuff. <laughs> when you get on a phone call, like the, uh, we, we keep talking about the Jimmy John's thing, but that's a good place to be. Like, so the guy who directed all that stuff was uh, Craig Gillespie, who directed a million movies, and um, he also did the first spot I ever made in two thousand and five. And so I've been fortunate enough to work with Craig over the years, but like, you know, he most recently was up for um, the Tonya Harding movie. He, he, he was nominated for a bunch of stuff for that. Craig's a legit Hollywood genius. And so if you walk into a room with people like him, people like Stacy Wall and, and Wayne McClammy, and you, if you just assume they can't make it better, it's just arrogance. And if you allow them to make it different, and make it better. You 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 look better. So I, I I've had to adapt that body posture because I found that when I didn't, I was unhappy, and when I allowed it to change and, and appreciated the process of all these artistic people bringing what they do better than I do, the work got better and I got happier. You know,
1: I, I really appreciate when I when I watch those um, Tony Belonovich, uh that the DP was on point i mean this wasn't just we're not going out and shooting it's actually very well done the, the there was an opening where uh, tony's sitting on the couch and there's a certain look and i mean that sells right there you've sold it you've sold the whole idea right in that one shot and i love that so the rest is just you know icing on it and, and adding to it so you know when i was younger i i don't, and I could be wrong, and maybe I just didn't notice it. But I, I look at a lot; so much production value goes into ad, it mm-hmm. just blows me away. And you are, uh, you guys are basically at the you know the epicenter of creativity as far as uh, film and video go. So I think that that probably helps
2: a lot. Yeah, we're getting to play with the best in the business. I'm so poor with names, so I can't think of the name of the gentleman who DP'd that, but. Uh, believe me when I say he has multiple Oscars. Like oh, wow. the, it's, it's sometimes in this game, you get to work with like the, we shot a, I think for Facebook last year for, um, for, for not for Facebook, technically for Facebook, for Oculus is the name of the brand um, quest and uh Hoyte van Hotemann, is that his name, I'm so bad with names, whatever. Sure. <laughs> Amazing top of the line, the best, the best DPs on the planet shot that. And, and I've got a list 10 long that I've been fortunate enough to be with them and watch them play because, For for directors and and cinematographers, DPs, they can drop into this world, work with pretty sizable budgets, and we're fortunate enough to play with those, but only commit, you know, a month, maybe two of their life versus a film that's a seven-year commitment, you know? And so, like, being able to drop in, play around, try some new stuff, use new uh, cameras that they haven't used, do this thing they've been playing around, like, (sighs) all of that is mega rewarding for them. Or oh, like to yeah. just shot nope, he shot nope and a bunch of other stuff. Like, so they want to get in there and play, and that when you when you land that, I mean, I'm just thinking about the faces of all these guys, and predominantly guys doesn't have to be, but it has been. Um, when you land that environment, where mega talented people like Brad, he he came to play and serious and making it funny, but it's like, and on those, you know, one of my favorite things, and it's in most of the work I've made, is if it's gonna be funny. I like comedy that doesn't look like comedy. If, if you turn on an ad and you're like, I'm supposed to laugh, you probably won't. Right.
0: The laugh <laughs> track it, <laughs> Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly right. Like I'm, you know, you can go back and watch some, you know, multi-cam sitcoms and be like, I know some really talented people and really good writers and wrote all those jokes, but I can't find a way to laugh because I just know I'm supposed to and I'm out. Most of the stuff we make, it can... As soon as you just look like, what is this thing? And then the joke hits, you're like, oh, that's funnier. And so that's part of that is like, let's just take this seriously. Even if it's the most ridiculous idea of some sort of sandwich mafia, and he's mad, he's on a takedown, and we're doing some legit Looney Tunes (laughs) jokes, what if you treated that like Scarface? What would that look like? How would that feel? You know?
0: Let me ask you, this is something I've heard a lot of people say. When you say, I've worked with geniuses, I understand what it is mm-hmm. when you talk about a DP. Because you, yeah. you know, it's obvious the visuals, the way it's composed. But when you're working with a director who you consider a direct uh, genius, you worked with mm-hmm. others, I'm sure, that are solid or good or very good or whatever. And then you have this elite, what you would consider genius. What's yeah. the difference between the genius? Is it the little... Is it little observational things? Is it something big? What has been your experience?
2: It's a good question. The 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 face and name that comes to mind. I've been fortunate to work with a lot of really amazing directors. Is Jim Mangold, James Mangold, who has directed Three Ten to Yuma and Walk the Line and all the Wolverine movies and um, Logan,
0: uh, yeah, Logan, Logan,
2: and on and on and on and. Jim's been doing it in this business for a really long time. Back in the day, he wrote uh, Oliver and company for Disney and then got fired. But um, (laughs) he would tell (laughs) that story An amazing. guy. And what's the difference on the best directors, the genius directors, some of them are just visionary, but so much of it is orchestration that they can take the sheet music of every department and orchestrate them all. So they're getting the absolute best out of the prop guy, out of, the DP out of the art directors of the set designers, all the, all of it, all the way through the edit, all the way through the sound design, all the way. And they're orchestrating it all. So they're touching it all, but you don't, you don't feel the touch. You just see the talent of the individuals that they've collected. Cause they From know they're more trusted. of a lead
0: leadership qualities. Then is that what it's you're a thinking? leadership
2: and it's, and it's, and it's manipulation and it's, it's about knowing when to ask and when to push. So it's like, it's just it's it's human general shit done in in service of the arts and and I bring up Jim because he I don't know if this story is interesting to you I'll just tell it and you can cut it out but <laughs> um, we we were uh, we were shooting a, a spot for Call of Duty that he directed about four kids go to Vegas and, every, and the world blows up and when you do those spots they're very expensive they're five six seven million dollars just a lot of money involved. Um, and with it comes legit Hollywood effects, and there was, you know, live fire and big explosions and onset mortar bombs and all the stuff that you get um, when you when you throw that kind of money around to capture a certain feeling. And I was a I was a youngster, and I, I was. From my britches a little bit, and I and I had a good relationship with him, and I had a good relationship with the talent, and I went up there and delivered a note to the talent, like, "Hey, when you when you do this next little bit, it doesn't really matter what, give this look or something." And and Jim uh, yelled at me loudly, <laughs> and and yelled at the whole set in a way that I really respected, which is to say, he said, um, "This is a pyramid, and so everything has to go through the guy at the top, and if it because if it doesn't, then chaos happens." And for him, it wasn't about ego. It was about the guy I was talking to literally had a live shotgun. And we saw some of the stuff in the last year, what can happen when, you know, it's blanks, but Absolutely. when that can go poorly. And he was just like, all of it works because it goes through one path. And, and the genius directors that I've seen are able to give the talent that follows them the space to be themselves but also shape them to get the best version of themselves. So they orchestrate the whole thing. It's the, it's the director of the symphony or, you know, the conductor of a symphony versus uh, you could have a hundred talented musicians, but if the conductor's not shaping them, then it's a mess. So I I think that's the difference. And it's, so there's a lot of selflessness in the best of them.
1: Oh, very good. You've kind of uh, alluded to this a little bit, but uh, can you tell us about the Charles or Carl Sr.? Add because I, I think that one we do get to see every now and then, and uh, I think it's very original. I really like it.
2: Yeah, that's one of my favorites. So that was I was at a, a working for a place called Seventy Two and Sunny at the time. They had had Carl's Jr. for a very long time and done a number of controversial um, pieces of content uh, involving young women in small bikinis exactly. and eating sloppy yes. sloppy burgers. <laughs> and uh, I didn't work on any of that, and I'm not here to judge any of those people. But I didn't love it, and and so but I knew the people who did it and they worked really hard on that. And it's just like, but when I got the opportunity, I was like, I want to do something completely different. And we stumbled across the stupidest of ideas that maybe the reason they've made all these in the, in the rebrand of it, all these sort of juvenile ads was because it was Carl's junior who was being rung by Carl (laughs) junior who, and and then daddy comes back and Carl senior enters into the fray. And that was the idea. And, And I, it was one of the few times, you guys have probably had this, but like sometimes that was the idea. And I was like, Oh, that could be the idea. And over a weekend, I wrote 12 things and, and a couple of those are kind of word for word, what made the screen. And that's rare, but you just kind of sort of like, again, when I talk about finding the voice, you could feel it. And like, Oh, he would say this there. And then when he wants you to tell you this thing, that's how he would say it and put on these personas. Um, we talked a little about when we were talking about Tony Bolonovich with Brad, that was always written to be Brad Garrett, and then somehow it happened, which never happened. Oh, wow. This one was like some, some version of Nick Offerman meets somebody meets somebody. It was always kind of that. And then we end up getting Charles Esten from... Um, he's a proper musician. He's been on uh, Nashville and other things, and whose line is it anyways? Another improver. And we put the right mustache on him, and it's like, oh, he carried <laughs> a gravitas to him. And then again, on the... The buddy cop thing, Jackie Gleason and, and his kid, that's where I first sort of stumbled upon that. The, the director of that was this guy, Wayne McClammy. He, he mentioned the Jackie Gleason thing to me. And so we made Junior, who was just a punchline as well. We we found um, Drew Tarver is his name, and he's on a, um, the other one. That's that's a HBO show and stuff. Now he's maybe the best improviser I've ever seen. He's wow. just so funny, so funny. And so Junior became. Oh, we have to now bring Junior everywhere, and it became the old man smacking down the young <laughs> idiot. And that joke is always funny to me. <laughs> so we we got to make that until the the the, the downside of this business in in Hollywood, the studio execs change, and then and then uh, shows disappear here. Uh, CMOs, chief, chief marketing officers change and when that does no matter how good it is and how much fun you're having everything gets wiped away so right. that that ended a little prematurely but I one of my favorite things I ever got to be a part of
0: One of the things that you mentioned was riffing on the idea of the Jackie Gleason cop and his son or sheriff from uh, Smoking a Bandit and it made me think of the idea I read in I think it's Tolkien, and I, I'm sure I don't know if your 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 dad, who's a pastor, would relate to this, but he said only God creates; everybody else subcreates. Mm. Mm. And basically, we just take different parts and we rearrange them into something interesting. And that was the concept.
2: Yeah. I love that. And, I think that's. I mean, I, that's
0: right. Yeah, I was just wondering if that that you know if that kind of rings true to you in terms of how you. You see things, you you take in stuff, and you're just taking things that you've seen and you kind of rearrange it in an interesting and different way.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun if you want to go sure even farther back biblically, right? It's, it's every great—I don't want to say that because it makes me sound like I'm calling myself great— but every great chef, they're working with the same ingredients— I love pizza. Lately, that's been my thing, guys. If you want to get really deep, I can talk to you about pizza for an hour if you have different <laughs> pizza-related podcasts. I've been doing a lot of making my own pizza over the last, you know, this hellscape we've been living in for the last few years. <laughs> and that's like flour, water, salt, yeast. Throw it all together. Add some tomato sauce on it and some mozzarella. And, and and yet, the real great pizzas, you remember, it's the same thing here. Every Everyone's got the same ingredient and it's the way you smash them together. So I, I'm... I watch an absurd amount of television. That is my way I commune with the world. That's the way my wife and I, it is our love language, is that we watch T V together <laughs> and we, we laugh at stuff and um, and that's it. And I think out of that comes a little bit piece of that, a little piece of that, a little bit of, you know, Tarantino's dialogue here smashed up with this thing there. And then oh, that feels different and exciting to me. And so I don't I don't I don't judge whether it's good or not, I just whether whether I'm excited by it. So I do think it's about all the different influences from I'm sure I picked them up when I was a youngster and my dad was talking in the pulpit the way the phrases would come out and I pick it up when I'm watching um, Reservation Dogs or the Bear on FX or Hulu right now and just like that's all it's all seeping in and I'm eventually going to use it to go sell a sandwich but uh, yeah.
0: (laughs) On that note what happens and this is a question a variation of this question I ask a lot of Mm -hmm. creatives is what happens when you hit the creative bridge out Mm. and you have ideas that, you know, you're like, you're, you know, working with and you're and you're thinking, well, this is not bad. This is not terrible, but it's not. It doesn't have a zing to it. What do you do when you hit that point?
2: Oh, man. Uh, I'll probably tell somebody else to fix it, but uh, <laughs> I, no, I
0: it's Especially when you know there's something there, but you can't quite pull the thread out.
2: You know what I wish the answer I could tell you was. I wish the answer I could tell you was, well. I just pull in someone I trust, I close someone, someone close to me that I trust, and uh, I just share it with them. Man, I see what they think of. That's that'd be a super lie. I'm so afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so afraid to share anything I really like with anybody. But it is my job, so I, I have to at some point. But the process, I, I just, I never. We work with people who are hyper confident and are happy to do it. I just never want to show anything I wrote to anybody, even when I love it. But but especially when it's like, this could be good. I, for me, the, the honest answer on that is, is, is just write it again and write it and write it and write it and talk it out and just try to find, there's something in there. And then the other benefit of it, like I know y'all talked to a number of people from all different sorts of industries. The, one of the, the, you know, I, you know, I work in advertising, so we have to sell stuff for the man. But what comes with that is an insane amount of at bats, meaning if this one doesn't work, there's another one coming tomorrow for a different problem. And sometimes you're holding three or four problems in your brain at once, which can help you with the first problem. So sometimes it's about smacking your head harder at the wall, and then often it's leave it over there go for a walk, think about something else, go to the bathroom. And then, Oh my God, that, yeah, yeah, that. And then you just try to write that in your phone at three in the morning and not forget it. Do you ever
0: have a point where you're like, I'm just hitting singles here. I'm not, I'm not hitting <laughs> home runs. Mm-hmm. And it, do you get into that rut or is it generally you've turning over ideas quick enough that it, you don't ever really feel like you're in a creative rut.
2: Um, I get into places where I feel like I'm repeating myself I think that's that's the rut. So they're all home runs, but they're repeated. No, they're not home runs. But like, <laughs> like you're like, oh, I'm just I know how to do that thing, so I keep doing the thing I know how to do, and that's less fun, even when it's good, and it's not always good. But I, yeah, man, I think I've gone I've gone years hitting singles. The only reason you know the difference is because you know how it feels to hit a home run. You're Like, yeah, that thing I wrote mattered. So for me. What, what helped me get beyond that, I talked a lot about it a little bit earlier. The very beginning of my story was I was an account guy. A lot of really giving people um, gave me opportunities, including this. There's a gentleman named Steve Peckingham was his name, and he told me, enjoy the process. I'm not sure he he, he enjoyed it very much at the time, <laughs> but that was his lesson to, to the young whippersnapper as heels being like, how do you do this, man? Because he's just so talented. Um, He's like, enjoy it, man. Enjoy. The outcomes are un- are not yours to control, but the process you can enjoy the making on a Wednesday. Now, the way I look at it is the making on a Wednesday is as important as as much an active creative expression as the thing that sees the light of day. It's, it's all created. Just some of it was only for me or only for the five people in the room who laughed at it. And that freedom to get to that helps the singles feel less like they're haunting you. Because, because it's, it's just, I don't know, like a guy who hits all singles probably cranks some at batting practice. He hits them out of the park at batting practice. And if you can tell yourself that batting practice matters <laughs> um, <laughs> and is important, then I think it frees you up a little bit.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of talk about how many, how many baskets Jordan missed and would he be yeah. Jordan without that? You know, actually. So absolutely. That's right. That's right. Hey, what do you do? I know you're a creative and and I know you're in a creative field, so I don't know how you feel about this, but I mean like I have to do some you know creative work on my on the side to kind of fulfill me. Do you do anything? do you do anything on the side uh, that f- fulfills a creative urge for you? Haikus, anything?
2: No man. <laughs> uh, like I said, I, I, I used I used to be a musician. I couldn't write a haiku if I tried. <laughs> they, just, they sound so fake when I do it. Um, and now I have kids, and maybe that's just the life cycle of it all. I've got an eight-year-old and a four-year-old. Last last night, I was playing. Uh, I don't even know what these games are, but whatever. I was playing. <laughs> I was the the little cakey guy, and she was the meerkat. And the, with the four-year-old, and oh, um, sure. we played that for hours. And like, that's that's a. That's a goddamn, is it tiring? So, like, I think it's, it's its own outlet in a way. And, like I said, I watch TV with my wife, but um, no, I the there was a joke on friends, and this is I don't know why this stuck with me, I haven't seen this in 20 years, years ago, where she was she and Rachel was dating a guy who I think was a woman's doctor, gynecologist, I don't know what it is, but it, they they wanted to you know have a little intimate time, and he's like, You ever just get home and just if I see one more. And the point being, sometimes I get home, I'm like, I couldn't. Oh yeah. I can't <laughs> I can't write another thing, man. That's enough. And so so I, I find it in their in their optimism, in their ever present energy, I find a little bit of push. But um no, I don't write on the outside, which is bad. I think eventually I will. I'll get back to it. But for now I'm just the the brain's tired.
1: So what instrument instrument did you play?
2: Uh in my bad bands, I played guitar and I sang and I sweated and I jumped a lot. That was basically, and you guys didn't horrendous. make it. That's
1: hard to believe.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you imagine for the amount of sweat that we put out. No, I don't know. It's, it was a great memorable time. I mean, like half of this business, this business, half of creativity is a willingness to step up to a microphone. At, 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 like you're doing right now and say, here's what I think. And then, and um, please judge me for it. And I think I learned that in the band days, you whether we the crowd hated us or there was no crowd or the crowd liked us it was all the same it was just step up speak your truth jump around sweat and uh maybe make someone feel something you know you know another
1: great thing about the band scenario for me and it's basically what you do is the collaboration i i love collaborating i mean when i'm uh, collaborating with friends i don't think i don't think i'm any, I don't think I've ever been any more creative than when I'm collaborating with friends. So,
2: uh, That's my, like we talked about the writer's room. That's my favorite thing. I've had to learn. I, I rarely write now with fingers on keyboards. I write through people like, Hey, have you tried maybe trying it like that? And what do you think about that? And like, you riff back and forth and go, I don't know, take that and do with it. And half the time the really talented ones are like, they're like, oh, thanks boss. I appreciate it. And then they tell me to fuck off and, and that's okay. <laughs> they just reject it because they, they have something they're trying to do. But if you can implant an idea in their head and then watch it grow the way they would answer it versus the way I would do it, it's, it's more rewarding in its own way. So that collaborative process of going back and forth and I thought writing was Salinger in a Cabin. <laughs> and I think what it actually is 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 the, the stones or the pearl Jam or whoever. It's go. just people on a stage, you know.
0: Absolutely. I think I got one more question for you. Yeah. Hopefully, we have a, another session maybe down the line. But happy to. I, I assume that you're helping selling your ideas to the client, right? Yes. So if we if we think of our ideas is you know you get your singles packaged in one size box and then your doubles and your triples and your home runs and your grand slams and different size when you're pitching ideas you know it's always fascinating you know even i'm sure at even at your level because my wife works at a marketing company at a high up level so i know yeah. sort of those kind of personalities yeah they have their own ideas and they filter them in a very different way than what you sometimes think they would. And I'm just wondering what your experience and how you approach that. Like, you know, they may be super in love with your single and they look at your grand slam and they don't see it for whatever reason. I've just talked. Uh, how do you deal with your clients? What, how do you think through it? Some 'cause some I assume that that's a very, you know, that scale changes a lot depending on who you're dealing with. I'm sure you build rapport with some. Some are harder nuts to crack.
2: I think that's right. I think some of them, I've been fortunate. I'm like, when they speak, you best listen. Because this lady or this gentleman knows what they're saying. And maybe they don't know how to answer it. But if you take what they suggest and do your do your version of their answer. You might be onto something that's rare, (laughs) but when it happens, Oh man, is that freeing broadly? It's, it's, I would answer it in two ways. The first is if you really know it's a grand slam, all you can do is, is make that very clear and, and just be honest with them. Like y'all should really consider this. Like the, the Carl senior thing. I knew that was a grand slam. I just felt right. Just felt it. And so I put it forward in the best possible light I could. I tried to answer every question I thought they were going to have before they asked it. And then at the end of the day, um, they went for it and they were brave and you know brave in this world. They were brave and they made that choice to sort of undo a lot that they had done. Um, but that again, not it's not always the case. And and so the the other. You can control what you can control. I just you have to do that. You have to believe that you've put it all out there. You've you've presented the best version of the thing you're excited about in a way. We often say, "How do I get them excited about what I want them excited about?" It's not manipulating them in a the sort of control way. It's just how do you help them see how you feel.
0: Hypnosis, drugs, whatever. Yeah, right?
2: I mean that's it's it's bribery. I mean <laughs> <for> anything really. <laughs> but the other thing, honestly, in that. Is if you can establish a relationship with anybody in power, be it CMO, studio exec, whoever, that when they give a suggestion, you're not going to roll your eyes like an asshole and just be like, "Okay, cool, appreciate it, bro," and then flush it. My my thing is, I'll try it all. I don't know if I could predict creativity. The you know, no one can. I'll try it the best version of it I can possibly make. I will try the thing you suggest. And I'm also going to try the thing I think it is. And then at the end of the day, I'm going to look at both of them with, with no bias and go, you know what? You were right. Or I was right. But when they know that that's actually true and it is that I'll approach every suggestion as if maybe it is the answer. Then when you go, you know what guys, we tried it. We still think then the ones who aren't egomaniacs will follow that. We'll follow you on the journey, and the ones who are just going to like what they said, that will be what happens. You know.
0: One brief follow up: Have you ever had a either home run or grand slam rejected?
2: <laughs> yeah, all the time. <laughs> I mean, probably this morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we had. You, I'll I'll make the story brief because you probably don't want to use it, but years <laughs> ago, the, my my biggest moment was we had a. My very second, maybe my first or second year as a writer, I was on the Super Bowl, and we did some stuff for Ameriquest, and it was amazing. And then they're going to come back the next year, and we wrote an even better thing, and we shot it with Craig Gillespie, and uh, it was called Concert. It's about a guy. Don't judge too quickly. We want was the name of the Ameriquest campaign. It's about a guy taking his daughter to a concert, and next she ends up looking like he's um, soliciting her as a prostitute. It was a little edgy for for um, <laughs> the Super Bowl, but it was meant to run. And it was going to run up until a week before the Super Bowl. And it didn't run because at the time then, the guy who was in charge of AmeriQuest, top, 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 top guy, was up for ambassadorship to the Netherlands, I think in the the Bush administration. I don't know. And he was afraid that this commercial might endanger his ambassadorship. And so it got killed. And that's just so absurd that um, 17 years later, I'm still telling you the story. Right. And it's just because... Well, you would like, think
0: his donations to the party would have would have got him that ambassadorship <laughs> no regardless of what I he did.
2: Exactly right. I don't think anyone's like, well, you did make a commercial. But that sometimes... <laughs> I loved that spot deeply. And, and it just is what it is. That happened. And so that's. I think that was where I got my scars on I can't let the outcome determine my happiness. I just have to be... If we're having fun with each other and the process is good and we're controlling what we can control then find happiness in there and then uh the rest of it is just up for i don't know the gods to decide
1: have you ever had something like that actually when you said that i thought i'd seen uh, an ad like that at one point so it
2: got released it didn't just get released on the super bowl
1: oh gotcha okay so, okay, okay. I was just wondering if you ever had something that got poo-pooed, you basically shelved it, and then somebody else comes along, and you go, you know, this would work for those people. Have you ever done that?
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Can you even talk about it? (laughs) Uh, Theoretically, hypothetically, of course. Theoretically, hypothetically, you never let a good idea die. There you Um, go. I think that's right. That's right. No, I even, there was versions of Tony Bolonovich for, for other opportunities in the past that would be, I don't know, you fall in love with voices and this particular voice <laughs> might've, have, might've have had another round or two before it saw the light of the day. But I think that's good, man. I think maybe my favorite thing I ever made, I'll be quick. um oh, was, a, was an ad called uh, to Michael for PlayStation and I'm a big video game guy. This is a a film, a film, it was. It's like three minutes. It's a proper little short about stumbling upon this pub bar in the middle of a forest somewhere and inside it's filled with 40 different gaming characters, real life versions of them from all across the PlayStation spectrum, which means we had to get 40 different developers to approve it. And I had to convince a lot of people to give up control. And then in it, they talk and they everyone's telling stories like you do at a bar. And then eventually they all start telling stories about the same person, this kid named Michael, who it comes to be revealed as the, the gamer who controls them. That's the arc of it. And when it released, the people who play games felt seen and, and, and really lost their shit over it. And, and the reason I bring it up in this conversation is from the time I wrote that to when we made it, it was four years. It was all for PlayStation, but it was in a pitch and then it was on a shelf. And it was like, just waiting for the moment. And then it's like, Oh, you know what? This is the time to do that. And so it found its time then. So I, I do think if there's something about a thing you love, not letting other people tell you it can never be because they can't determine if it can ever be, they can only determine whether they it can be right now and under their control. So when the old people said no, and the new people came in, it's like, you know what? Maybe, maybe this is the time. And then you give it its best shot and see what happens.
1: You know that is that's awesome, and that is so much like Hollywood. I mean, like exactly. Hollywood movies. You know, absolutely. So that's very cool. Josh, it's been a blast talking tonight. I've, I just had a had a great. I've, I feel like we've had a great conversation. I've I've enjoyed it.
2: Oh, um, uh, me too. Me too.
1: How can uh, people find out more about you? I know people want to see the Tony Bolonovich. So uh, how <laughs> it's can? It's awesome. They... It's awesome. Oh, it's it's awesome. Yeah. How did how how can they uh, view these?
2: Okay. Yeah. I'm at. Uh... At Josh Fell on Twitter and then JoshFell.com on the thing on the internet. I think Anomaly probably I work for Anomaly out of Los Angeles. I think we have a website, but I think it's it's a uh, you know in process. Um, uh, so anything we're making out here, and again, most of the stuff on on my side at, at Josh Fell is the vast majority of the best stuff. I didn't write; other people write, <laughs> and I just help shepherd. Um, so come in, see what they do. It's 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 uh worth your time.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and, and uh, Anomaly anomalies, a great. You know, you. I I really enjoyed going to your side. Unfortunately, I don't remember the the side, and it will actually be in our notes. So I'll have your uh, your side and the anomaly uh, side in the notes. So very good. Hey, thanks a lot tonight. Uh, You have a great evening, and hopefully, we'll talk again down the road. Sounds great. Thank you guys. Have a good one.
0: Thanks for hanging out with us on the True Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please visit us at Facebook. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay true and stay creative.
1: You're too late Catch a ride somewhere Try you're somewhere else